solve a test. I thought we talked about this whole dumpster diving thing. I'm late, so I just wanted to be sure. It was negative. It's really not that big of a deal. No, I know. I just... How'd you go all night without mentioning it? It's not like you mentioned it either. Look, I'm not trying to fight. Then let's not. Jesus, Rich, I hate it when you shut me down like that. I'm just, I'm just trying to talk to you. And this is what you want to talk about right now? Oh, right. I forgot. This conversation only happens on your terms. Jake, it was just a test. There's really nothing to talk about. Okay. It's a volatile topic among cineasts whether or not true filmmaking is a thing of the past. Earlier this year, Martin Scorsese proclaimed that cinema is gone. The cinema that I grew up with and that I'm making is gone. Dustin Hoffman, two years earlier, proffered the idea that film right now is the worst that it's been in 50 years. And many of those aforementioned cineasts tend to state both as their contemporary John 3.16. Eh, some will have a problem with my opinion which I or you or anyone else with a working knowledge of film history is just as entitled to, and which is just as valid, even if we may not have a mantle full of Oscars. But I disagree with Scorsese and Hoffman, and I've never cared for the word cineast anyway, as it kind of carries with it the filmic equivalent of a little self-aggrandizing snobbery, you know? No, mainstream filmmaking has certainly changed, But the art and craft of film has always, throughout its history, since the very beginning, been much more than that which is mainstream. In the late 60s and early 70s, when that new crop of independently minded, some called them counterculture, filmmakers, which included Scorsese, De Palma, Wes Craven, and others, were changing the face of their day's mainstream. Many older, more traditional filmmakers, studio heads, and more either moved to TV went overseas or retired and got out of the business altogether because many of them felt that cinema as they had known it was gone. Then, when the internet came to be the predominant communications medium, the creation and distribution and even financing model of contemporary cinema, much of it still as counterculture and barrier-breaking as anything by Fonda, Hopper, Rafelson, or Cassavetes, changed yet again. The only thing was, if you were among the audience, you had to know where to look. And if you were a filmmaker, you had to be tenacious, self-reliant, at times willing to sacrifice everything and even fight for what you said was your art and just to get your film made. A new filmmaking edict arose. It said you couldn't sit by waiting for someone to drop in your lap the role or script or film you wish to be a part of. Those days were over, so yeah, I'll give Scorsese and Hoffman that one. Because often, and into today, especially if you're a woman or a minority, You've got to step up and do it for yourself. There's that wonderful Tom Hanks line in the movie A League of Their Own, when in response to Gina Davis wanting to quit professional baseball because it's too hard, Hanks, the team manager, famously says, it's supposed to be hard. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. But there's something inspirational as all hell about someone with the odds stacked against them from the beginning. From the proverbial small town and with no Hollywood connections, no official film school, Oh, and being a woman, too, which shouldn't make a difference, but we all know that it unfortunately does. Not standing around waiting for a break, tonight's guest decided to create her own, and in the past decade has become not only an actress and writer, but a producer 
and even direct her on her next film, with her current film, The Space Between, presently making the festival rounds and also streaming. Alternately hilarious, heartbreaking, and inspirational. I've interviewed a number of folks over the last few years, but it's no exaggeration to say I've seldom felt like I was sharing a beer and shooting the S, and simultaneously delving into damn deep, and this phrase is tossed around far more than it should be these days, genuinely self-empowering subject matter, as I have while chatting with this remarkable woman. I'm Craig Jamison of Gull Cottage Online, and thanks for joining me for an all-new episode of The Movie Sneak, in a league of her own, rounding the diamond with actress, writer, producer, and director Amber Sweet. Batter up. Amber Sweet, thank you for uh, joining us here on the Movie Sneak. It's my great privilege and my great honor to have you here. Oh my gosh, thank you so much, Craig. It is a it's, it's a privilege and honor to be here as well. <laughs> okay, and if during the course of any of these questions, believe me, um, if you have any questions for me, don't hesitate to ask. Uh, I have nothing to hide. Uh, no skeletons in my closet. Uh, you know, some you know, <laughs> like most people, some dumb shit that I've done. In the course sure. of my professional career, but nothing is off limits. So please feel free to uh, shoot back if you feel as though, hey, he's asking me a bunch of questions. Let me ask him a question or two. So um, feel free if you will. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Good to know. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, okay. The first thing I'm sure the response of some folks when they first see the title of this particular podcast episode will be Amber Who? And why? Right. Does, yeah. And why does this film or otherwise person I've never freaking heard of warrant right. a podcast interview? And, Sorry, okay. guys. <laughs> yeah, sure. And while yeah, I maybe understand that first general response. My response is my gut is always right. Uh, now that doesn't necessarily mean that I am always right. Right. <laughs> but I've learned often the hard way that every time I've listened to my gut in both things major and minor, I was glad I did. And every time I didn't, I wish I had. Exactly. I feel the exact same way. And in recent days, uh, I, I've come to feel the exact same way about Ms. Amber Sweet. Uh, I first became aware of her through becoming friends on social media, as so many acquaintances and friendships and creative collaborations begin these days. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. how if you swim in the same lake filled with writers and directors and actors and etc., you come to know people via friends of friends of friends. Right. Uh, but every now and then, one of those acquaintances stands out from the pack and you check out their work and there's something which raises it above the standard, uh, hey, that's not so bad level to holy shit, that's pretty freaking impressive. 
And yeah, and for me, that holy shit impressive level uh, only happens when a person's personal life and personal worldview becomes inexorably intertwined with their work. Um, mm-hmm. When when you can't uh, when one can't exist without the other. And, and when right. I came to see after seeing some of your work, in particular the short film The Space Between, uh, presently making the festival rounds, and which you wrote and <laughs> produced and star in, uh, and read yeah. postings and articles. I came away with an impression of someone whose life work and artistic ethic was based upon the dual stanchions of self-determination, of which I'm all mm. about, and a stubborn, <laughs> yeah, big time, oh, hell yeah, uh, don't even yeah. get started on that. Uh, <laughs> I know, <laughs> that's a, a whole nother pop. <laughs> yeah, and a stubborn survival instinct, uh, kind of the Rocky Balboa-esque, it's not how hard you can hit, it's, but how many times you can be hit and stand up again. You know, right. or the samurai yeah. fall down seven times, get up eight times, tenacity, um, right. which has led to you uh, not only seeing your career blossom as an actress and a damn good one, I, I would say, uh, but as Thank a screenwriter, you. thanks, but screenwriter, producer, and director, but it hasn't been easy. So no. with all of that intro stuff out of the way, uh, thanks, Amber, for joining me on the Movie Sneak. Oh my God. Thank you, Craig. By the way, I would like you just to follow me around in life and just repeat that. I just have that on loop. Okay. So that everybody knows. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like with a megaphone. Uh, that would be great if we could arrange that at some, okay. at some point. <laughs> kind of like, uh, did you ever see the film? Uh, I'm going to get you sucker. Um, no. Okay. It's, who, wait, it, who is- it's a spoof of the black exploitation films of the seventies. And, okay, um, I'm going to get you, Okay, and yeah, I, I'm going to get you, sucker. And it was uh, written okay. and produced by Kean Avery Wayans before the TV series of Living Color. But it has the same sort oh. of humor. And it's sort of like the airplane or naked gun kind of version of oh, black exploitation films. Oh, perfect. And, oh my God, I'm totally going to check that out. <laughs> okay, it's, it's awesome, believe me. Uh, and make sure you're not drinking anything, milk or otherwise, when you watch it. Because it <laughs> will come out your nose. It's hilarious. And it even features... Oh my God. A lot of the people from those films, like Isaac Hayes and Jim Brown and Fred Williamson. But there's one sequence where it's mentioned that every hero has to have their theme musicians. And and their theme musicians follow them on the street. So each hero has a band that follows them playing their theme, kind of like the opening theme to Shaft. So I guess my intro will be... Will be your theme musicians. <laughs> Absolutely, yes, definitely. I'll wear my Wonder Woman costume. And <laughs> right, which I saw the other day. Very, very cool. By the way. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. I couldn't. I couldn't resist. I had to. Cool. Okay. Well, jumping into things. Um, first of all, my first impression, um, like I said, of you was a combination of wow, self determination, and what the fuck. <laughs> The what the fuck aspect coming in because of, um, uh, I mean, I've known and I'm sure you've known and I'm sure everybody listening has known people who may have started out in the creative arts, uh, be they writing, acting, music, whatever. And for whatever reason, they over years dropped out. It could be just because, oh, I really shouldn't have been doing this. It was just a fantasy or a dream. And then maybe some right. other people realized, ooh, it's a lot harder than I thought. There's a lot more pick mm-hmm. and shovel work involved. And mm-hmm. um, to stay faithful to any one aspect of the creative arts in film, be it acting or writing or composing or directing, takes a lot. But you in recent yeah. days have decided to don a few more hats as not just actress, but writer, producer, director. And I'm just curious as to where the hell that came from, where the hell that started. 
Wow. Um, you know, I, funny enough, I didn't want to, I never wanted to be an actress growing up. It wasn't really something that I even thought of. I'm from a super small town and typically I'm from like Arrowhead, uh, California. And usually most of the people that I went to high school with went to school to be a teacher or a doctor or something, um, that and they would stay in like Arrowhead. Most people don't leave. They either go far, far away, or they marry their high school sweetheart and have a bunch of babies and start the cycle over again. Mm-hmm. And I always, I always knew deep down that that's not what I wanted. It wasn't the life for me. But I still, uh, in terms of direction, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew that I liked writing, and I did have a passion for teaching and kids. So um, when I went to college, I just majored, you know, general ed, and. Um, with a minor in English. And one of the classes that I had to take was theater 101, which was just the history of theater. And the, our professor had been an actress and director in her past. And for some reason thought it would be probably for her own, her own amusement. Honestly, I'm, <laughs> I'm guessing now at this point, she, she made everybody do a scene from waiting for Godot. Huh. And we were all petrified because none of us wanted to be performers. And that's, you know, um, the hardest thing ever is getting up and, and speaking in front of people, let alone acting with no training. Mm-hmm. And so we did all the scenes. And then afterwards she pulled me aside and she was like, you have a, a really raw natural ability. Have you thought about acting? And I told her, you know, no. And so she's like, I am directing the play this fall. I would like you to audition for it. Um, we have some acting classes that you can sign up for or, Uh, here's an acting coach that's close by. If you wanted to just like jump in, maybe take a commercial class just to get comfortable. So I did that. And then I auditioned for the play and I got the lead and then I got the lead in the spring play. And then I got a part in the musical. And by then I had fallen in love Mm -hmm. as most people do, you know, as as cheesy as it sounds, that moment where you step on stage and you know that that's your home. That absolutely. Yeah. That happened for me. And so, uh, it was towards the end of the semester and um, she recommended that I audition for AMDA, which is the American Musical and Dramatic Academy. And they had just opened up a LA campus, um, New York. They had a New York campus for a long time or to have a New York campus as well. And so this was the first year that it was open. And so I auditioned, I got in, I packed up all my stuff in small town like Arrowhead and I moved to LA and I have been here for 12 years. You can do Hispanic, right? Um, no. Actually, I can't. What? Just work with your mom. She can help you, right? Yeah, my mom's white and dead, so there's that. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, this looks ethnic. Great. This photo tells me I love crazy chicken. Enjoy the moisture. Moisture on your face. That is my sneeze on you. Awkward, the scent of a woman by Chris Klein. <laughs> 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 Those are hilarious, but seriously fucked up. <laughs> now, uh, uh, obviously, w- before interviewing a guest, you do a little homework. And uh, yeah. <laughs> it's always interesting that 
it's always interesting that as much as you thought you knew about that person, you see some other things where you go, get out of here. Uh, <laughs> and a couple of things that I saw, some early things that you did. One, you did some hosting, interviewing of baseball players and sports. And, yes. <laughs> and another you did was kind of humorous, uh, some uh, 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 spoofish ads. Could you yeah. maybe tell people about those, how you yeah, fell into those? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Um, I think it both were around the same time, actually. Um, in early 2000s, I, uh, I got hired as the co-host for the Men's Senior Baseball League World Series in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And previous to that, a little background, um, right after I graduated from college, I got a job working for Kaiser Permanente doing educational theater. Mm-hmm. So I toured Southern California and did plays for kids at schools around health topics. And for six years, I was in the show for high school kids about STD awareness and pregnancy prevention. Mm -hmm. So it was a full-length play, about 45 minutes, and then there was a 15-minute Q&A with the kids afterwards where we were, all of the actors were certified in STDs and um, basically were not doctors, but were able to speak on um, the issue as educated as doctors were. And so I had a lot of experience, you know, we saw between 200 and a thousand kids a day. So I had a lot of experience wow. speaking in front of big crowds and facilitating a Q and a and all of that. And I had a knack for it. Um, uh, and so in that I started pursuing hosting a little bit and then I got that job, um, which it, my, I have a hosting reel that miles, uh, stellar, <laughs> uh, he's one of my friends. I just a little plug there. He edited for me and it's super fun. And, um, I'm sure if you Google me that you can find it. Mm-hmm. And then also I, um, I, I created a sketch group with a, a bunch of girls, girlfriends of mine. We were called Full Frontal Females, and this was years <laughs> ago. And we're we're no longer working together in that capacity. We're all friends and doing other things. But uh, for about a year, we decided to make online content, and some of some of them were very very silly. And one of them was we did. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever seen this, but Chris Klein is an actor. Mm-hmm. And there was an audition video of him that circled. I don't remember what film he was auditioning for, but sorry if Chris Klein is listening. But um, it was the most awkward audition of all time. Oh, like he, Mamma Mia, Mamma Mia. Like, yes. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah, oh my okay. God. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was so uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. And one of the girls brought it to the group, and she was like, "We have to do something around this." And we had the idea to spoof like a sexy perfume commercial and have the perfume be called awkward. <laughs> and so we and we did it in black and white and like very sexy with like sexy music and like a French accent. And so uh, and then at the end, we tag it with his awkward laugh from the audition. Uh-huh. Um, I think they're <laughs> hilarious and brilliant. <laughs> but if you like YouTube full frontal females, it's one of the first ones that come up. And we all did our individual uh, perfume commercial. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Super funny. <laughs> I'm starting to feel like I'm standing in one place but supposed to be in another. Like there's this huge gorge in me and on the other side there are all these things that I should be and I should want. It's just getting harder to deny those feelings. What feelings? As much as I've wanted to, I've never had that maternal ache. 
I feel guilty just saying that out loud. Guilty how? Like I'm broken in some way. Or like I'm not complete as a woman unless I want kids. Do you really believe that? Only because that's how everyone else makes me feel. What about your husband? Does he make you feel that way? Now, delving into film work. Yeah. Right now, you have a film called The Space Between, which is making the festival round. Yeah. And which I watched and which is phenomenal. Um, uh, Thank you. One of the things I loved about it is it's very, very honest. It's very raw. But there is a, for lack of a better term, um, I don't want to say surreal because it's not surreal. It's just... um, the way it's filmed, and I would say that has a lot to do with not only your writing and your acting, but with the cinematography and the director. Oh, and if you could please give a shout out to your director and cinematographer, please. Absolutely. <laughs> Huge shout out to Taryn Maroon and Nicholas Matthews. Taryn mm-hmm. directed the film and Nicholas RDP. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, I, I, I'm going to let you take it. Uh, could you please give folks just a little rundown of uh, what the film is about? Yeah, absolutely. Um I lost my mom when I was four in a car accident that my sister and I were both in, but survived. Um, And so obviously that is a very um, traumatic experience and something that has followed me my entire life. And when I decided to dive into acting, um, you know, they acting is incredibly therapeutic and could for a lot of reasons um, and many different mm-hmm. roles. I've been able to not use my mother. Obviously, that's I don't I don't work right, that way, that's... but it has it has uh, informed a lot of my work and a lot of um, I, I believe it's it's made me a, a better uh, actress. It's made me a better person, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I think an art as an artist experiencing something like that can only make you stronger and better. Um, so it was a story that I've always wanted to tell. I've always wanted to honor her in some capacity artistically, and I don't know why I never got around to doing it. Um, but I had hip surgery, um, two years ago, February now. And in that recovery, it was a very long recovery process. And I, uh, was in bed for a very long time and very depressed and not being creative Mm -hmm. and uh, I forced myself to write and the first thing that came to the page was my story of my the loss of my mom and it started at five pages and ended up being 17 and um, I always wanted to write a film for for people who lost their parents but also for women Um, the older I got the harder it became to to ignore that that missing part and my dad is my mm-hmm. best friend and my biggest fan and he is amazing but he could never be both you know I mean it's just yeah. it's not possible and so I I felt I felt that that missing part and um and so that's part of what the movie is about um and then also I decided about three years ago that I didn't want to have children and um as a woman, as a human being, you get a lot of pushback. I mean, I know there are a lot of men that don't want kids either, but I can only speak to my experience as a female. And, um, you know, even for my family who love me and everything, when I said I didn't want to have kids, most of them were like, you'll change your mind. You just have to meet the right person. <laughs> and and it started to 
pissed me off. Like, and, 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 hmm. and then more than just like strangers who don't know me from Adam and would, for some reason that conversation would come up and like many people would ask me what's wrong with me physically. Like if I could not have children, which super invasive and none of your business, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> first of all, none of your business. Um, but, but nothing is wrong with me physically. I can have children and I love them and I'm an aunt and I'm, I, you know, I worked with kids for years. I, I adore children. I just know that it's not mm-hmm. a calling of mine. And I have many more passions that I would rather pursue than just have children. And just because I'm a woman doesn't mean I need to have them and all of those things. And so the film is about both. It's about loss. And it's also about standing by your wholehearted truth regardless. And in the film, mm-hmm. Rachel and Jake, Jake is played by Scott Spicer, who is an amazing actor. Um, and cur- mm. currently he's on The Tick, which is an Amazon show. Cool. <laughs> Just a little plug. It's super good. It's, it's like a comic book superhero. Uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, and and so they, their their relationship is strained because he wants to have children and Rachel does not. And so the, the film sort of navigates what that means for them. And then I won't give away the ending, um, but Jake is left with, uh, the question of whether or not he wants to stay with Rachel, given that she exposes her truth. And I think that it's one of those endings where each person will take away from it what they brought to it. Yeah. And um, I also love the fact that there's quite a bit of irony in it as well. During the first half of the story, um, uh, Rachel was very shut off. Yeah. And uh, I've been in relationships like that where it's like, I, I, you know, women say they want to communicate. I'm trying to communicate and you're not doing it. <laughs> right. You know, and I'm feeling for Jake. It's like, well, hey, the guy's got a point. Yeah. And then halfway through the story, you know, uh, Rachel starts to open up and she starts to open up. And it's like he can't take right. it. Um, he can't take the honesty of that opening up. And then he throws up a wall. And it's like, dude, right. <laughs> this is what you said you wanted. You know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and. And I love that. It kind of reminds me, um, maybe not as visceral, but um, uh, there's a writer-director named Neil LeBute. Oh, my God. um, He's one of my favorite playwrights. (laughs) Awesome. I actually actually think I'm going to be doing a play with one of my friends, uh, his newest play. Um, we're, I think we might be doing it. Just I'll keep you updated on that, but I think, yeah, we might. Cool. Please do. (laughs) Oh, my God. I I freaking love Neil LeBute. it actually reminded me of kind of a short version of a Neil Butte play in that. Wow, thanks. Um, <laughs> oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. In that there's a raw emotional honesty there yeah. between men and women. Yeah. And it's not always a comfortable emotional state. Yeah. But it is an honest emotional state. You agreed we would start trying. I know. I wanted to want to. You realize that doesn't make any sense right it means i thought i could do it for us for you but i can't so you lied that's not fair you said you'd wait until i was ready yeah but but now you're saying that you're never going to be ready that you don't even want to have kids with me jake that's not it it's not you i want a marriage. I want you. Yeah, what about what I want? Did you ever stop and think about that, huh? Can you give us a little background on The Space Between? 
how people might be able to see it uh, at festivals or elsewhere if they have an interest in doing so? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we have made it into eight film festivals total now. And the biggest one, um, in my opinion, that we've done was Holly Shorts in uh, at the Chinese Theater. Um, Sweet. We were part of the Women in Film Block, uh, which is actually nice. I I just want to shout the Holly Shorts uh, Festival out because it was one of the strongest blocks I've ever seen, and I was so proud that it was all female driven and created content and it was amazing to stand up there on a panel with just women um because every panel i've been on since then has been i've been the only woman (laughs) Wow! Um, and taryn and taryn bless her heart she's an incredible talent but it doesn't really like speaking in front of people so she's like (laughs) i I, I super support you going to all these festivals by yourself and like promoting the film and you go so it's just me (laughs) (laughs) oh wow (laughs) i can hang with the dudes so um i definitely don't mind that um and then so we are we're still waiting to hear back from about 10 festivals a few of which are in los angeles um and i am a pretty good uh social media um promoter in terms of my work. And so um, if you look for the space between on Facebook, um, uh, I, I always do updates there and um, get give links and stuff for people to buy tickets if they're Los Angeles based. Um, and then also there are a, a few film festivals that we've submitted to that are outside of Los Angeles that I'm willing to travel to. Um, and so I'll, po- I'll post those as well. And then people would be able to meet me and uh, hopefully some of the cast, sometimes the cast is able to come out as well. Um, and then also it is, so we crowdfunded um, a little over 10,000 of the dollar, $10,000 of the film um, or the budget on seed and spark, which is a crowdsourcing platform, sort of like Kickstarter but it was created by women, which is why I, why I chose them. And after the film was completed, they reached out to me and wanted to feature the film on their website as part of their short uh, um, in focus um, uh, part of their web- website. So you have to pay $10 a month. It's sort of like a Netflix, but for mm-hmm. indie content. Um, and so you get to watch short films, web series, uh, feature films and they're all documentaries and they're all created by indie filmmakers, which I think is beautiful. So it's something that you can support. You can support your local indie filmmakers. Um, and it's been on the website since March. And um, so we can, we can post that link as well. So it's $10 a month, but you get to watch unlimited content. And then part of that is you can watch uh, the, the space between. And we actually are, we were, I don't know if it's the case anymore, but we were the most viewed short film and we got over a thousand, over a thousand views, which was really, really cool. Damn. Um, Now we definitely will post the link to that on uh, the the page for this podcast show, as well as a, um, um, a link where people can find um, the space between at the various festivals. um, If they're in, in the area, I will say, and no, I'm not being paid by Seed and Spark to say this. <laughs> Seed and Spark <laughs> is pretty freaking amazing. What it reminds for those who are just into film in general uh, and want access to up and coming independent films that you may not see anywhere or may not see for a while because there's still some of them are still in development, some of yeah. them are still as yours, you know, uh, 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 um, raising money at the time. But it reminded me of there's a quote by Tarantino where somebody said. Um, when people ask me what film school did you go to he said I didn't I went to films 
And <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it it reminded me of just that good lord there's everything here. Um you can get lost. It's a library. Take your pick and dive in. So uh for those who love film, you've got to got to check it out. She beat up bad guys in Scream. Oh, you want to play Psycho Killer? Bewitched us in Charm. I didn't even call for it, it just happened. But now, Rose McGowan is center stage, being one of the first women to come forward, accusing Harvey Weinstein of sexual harassment, and now not holding back her criticism of Hollywood insiders who may have protected him. She has been really, really active in signal boosting other people's stories and calling out a potential hypocrisy. As the list of a-list actresses coming forward against Weinstein continues to grow. So do the questions. A new report overnight in the New York Times saying the Weinstein board likely knew of Harvey Weinstein's behavior. McGowan tweeting this image two days ago. They knew, they funded, they advised, they covered up, they must be exposed, they must resign. You've got dozens of superstar actresses who go, me too. He did that to me too. And they raise their voices and they go, hey, me too, me too, me too, me too. And then everyone goes, people still want to attack them, still want to dismiss them. But because they're not so easily dismissed, because they fought through this system and they got that power and now they're using their voices, everybody had to listen. I love that this notion of shame is being shed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're no longer ashamed. We're just calling it what it is. Right. Shame, self-blame. Yes. Secrecy. And, and, and all the yeah. graphic detail. It's like, this is what happened. This is how it went down, mm-hmm. beat by beat. And I think there's a real power in being accurate mm-hmm. and being able to not kind of sand down the rougher edges. It's like a wave. It's like, you know, the first soldiers on the front line were there, and now the backup is coming, which is really exciting. Well, I I guess dovetailing uh, into the next uh, uh, category, Mm -hmm. uh, phase of our conversation, which is a little dark, but ultimately um, inspirational and empowering. And mentioning how Seed and Spark was founded by women. um, And how we mentioned earlier um, this year, a sense of self-determination. And... um, not just with women, but just with any creative person in general. I got into a little bit of a debate in recent days with people uh, talking about, say, the films of Tyler Perry. And and I had said, you know, while I may not necessarily be a fan of all of his films, I admire his sense of self-determination where in yeah. an industry where people are always saying there aren't these kind of roles for minorities or that kind of roles for minorities. He just steps out and becomes a one-man industry and he'll make, say, the Medea films because they're commercial yeah. and yeah. they give him the creative freedom and leeway to do his more personal films. Right. And he's not the first person to do that. Everywhere right. people from James Garner to Clint Eastwood uh, has done that for years. Uh, yeah. Eastwood making films like, you know, The Rookie, which you know, was Charlie Sheen, which nobody's going to call high art, you know, <laughs> or Every Which Way But Loose. But in between those films, he was doing more personal stuff like Bird and documentaries like Straight No Chaser about Chet Baker and jazz. And um, so I applaud anyone who um, has the chutzpah to just yeah. say, I'm not going to sit around and wait for somebody to give me a role or make a film for me, but they're going to yeah. go out and create that for themselves, especially... In an environment like Hollywood, where uh, you have many who prey upon the dreams of people, yeah, and um, 
right now there's a lot going on, and thank God there's a lot of uh, um, uh, like pulling away the rocks and yeah. shining light on you know certain things that have been going on for years. Yeah. Uh, and the and the worms are scrambling, and the little cockroaches are scrambling. But the light is <laughs> yeah. finally yeah, but the light is finally being shown upon things. And while I wouldn't say it is safer or safe for somebody to come out and admit that they were the victim uh, or or intended victim of such abuse. Um, because I don't, th- I think there's always a risk, and it always takes a lot of bravery to do so, regardless of what era it is. Um, you wrote a piece for Ms. and Abiz a few years ago, yeah. when the <clears throat> uh, climate wasn't as welcoming to criticism of the industry, yeah. and that's another thing that really made me go, "What the fuck?" And this person is impressive. So I, I realize it's a little uncomfortable, but could you please? Yeah. You know, hopefully in the hopes of giving other people a little encouragement, uh, let us know yeah, about that. Absolutely. I, um, so I was, uh, I became friends with Helena Santos. We did like a, uh, a workshop together and just remained friends. And I admired her because she was a fellow badass chick who seemed like she was carving her own way out as well. And she was also like a writer, um, producer, actress, and she started this website. It's like an online magazine blog uh, called Ms. in the Biz. And it was uh, all female contributors. So all female writers uh, who contributed once a month um, on various topics. And the writers could be actresses or uh, directors or editors, anybody in the industry, just as long as they were a woman, um, and could contribute art- articles that were like how-tos or fun articles or sometimes hard articles. And for the most part, I contributed about 17 before I wrote this one. This was one of, one of my last ones that I wrote. Um, I did it over the course of a year, a little over a year. And um, uh, most of them were pretty lighthearted. And I tend to use humor a lot in my writing. And so the around the time that I was to, to deliver this article, I had a meeting with a manager and it was a, a manager who represented one of my friends. And so it was a referral. And he preferred texting over emailing, which I thought was a little weird. Uh, he would text me just randomly during the day and ask me how my day was. And this was all leading up to meeting him. I had not, I had not met him yet. Um, okay. And we were scheduling a meeting together uh, for possible representation. And he was, a, he's from, uh, he was from a very big management company. And so I sort of let him string me along and he was busy and had all these, it was pilot season and blah, blah, blah. So we had a meeting scheduled for coffee one day. And that morning he told me he couldn't make coffee. He had to do lunch and then lunch turned into dinner and then dinner turned into drinks the following night. And I obviously a huge red flag, but I was like, my, my friend is wrecked by him and she's great and has never, you know, given off any alarms. And it's a Mm -hmm. huge, huge management company. So I was like, you know what, I'll just pick a safe place. I'll pick the restaurant that I used to be a waitress at. So everybody knows Mm -hmm. me there. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was, it wasn't 9 PM. It was like, you know, six 30 or seven. So it wasn't super late. Um, So we get there and I walk up and I could tell immediately it wasn't a meeting and uh, he was very flirty and very Hmm. inappropriate the whole time. And I kept trying to redirect it. And, and I even asked him, yeah, yeah, I even asked him if he had like seen seen any of my work and he 
basically was like, that doesn't matter. He's like, I need to like you as a person. And everything was strange. Mm. And he proceeded to put his hand up my skirt. Um, We were sitting in like sort of like a booth thing. And so, yeah, he put his hand up my skirt and I stopped him. Jesus. He he tried two more times. So three times in total. And the third time. Yeah. And the third time I... I got a, I was like, I have to go to the bathroom. I went to the bathroom. I was texting my friend, just like, I, this is what's happening. I don't understand. I'm so confused as he can get to date. I thought this was a referral. I don't, and he's also, I don't know how it could be a date because he was married with children. Mm. Uh, and I just felt incredibly violated and stupid. And I, I left that meeting furious and it, and it brought back other instances where that had happened before because that wasn't the first time. Um, I had a meeting when I was uh, 22 with an agent who I'm not going to go into the whole story, but long story short, was very, very inappropriate with me. And at the end of the meeting, he asked me how badly I wanted to be an actress. And I said that I was willing to do anything and not in a sex, obviously not in a sexual, like just, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm very ambitious and driven. I'll do anything. And he asked me if I was willing to get on my hands and knees and proceeded oh. to start taking off his belt. And I had to basically run out of his office. So with all with all of that, <laughs> I I really wanted to do something about it, and so I called SAG and I reported both of the men. And at first, mm-hmm. um, I I was terrified to do so, and SAG was really lovely about it. And I gave them their their names, and then they asked like uh, they ask you if you want to be anonymous or if you want to be named. And but uh, the, the caveat of that also was they were like, you know, there is potential backlash. Like he's right. a, he's a huge manager. And if it comes back that it was you, I mean, guaranteed that you're not the only girl that has done this. So there's no right. way that you would really know that it's you. But if you do name yourself, it could come back to you. And I was sort of politely advised to not give my name, to do it anonymously, hmm. which, which made me feel weird. Cause I just felt, um, I don't know. I, I the whole thing was really scary. And, but hmm. I did it. And then after that, it didn't feel like it was enough because um, I had no control over whether or not that would even have an effect on his career. Uh, so I decided that the next article I was going to write for Miss in the Biz wasn't going to be like the best person headshot photographer. It was going to be this story, mm-hmm. um, hopefully to give a voice to other victims of sexual harassment and um and so I, I wrote it, and and when I and Helena Santos had to uh, obviously review all of the articles before mm-hmm. she printed them, and she called me and she was like, "Are you sure you want to do this?" And because it, like you said, it wasn't a time of support really, um, and and most of the we we ended up printing the article obviously, and most of the negative feedback I got on the article was from women at the time. Wow, it was amazing. Yeah, it was like I got shamed <laughs> for not naming the men in the article, and I got shamed huh. for reporting them anonymously. But hmm. I was like, "But like, you can't win at that point." And, right, 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 right. And so, and so that was that was 2013, I think. And so, when the whole Me Too campaign came out, I decided to repost the article, and the feedback was brilliant this time. Like, of course, incredibly supportive and. And um, and then other women sharing their stories. That's one thing that I was really excited about when when the article did come out. Like, 
all of the women who came out of the woodwork and all of the emails that I would get from perfect strangers thanking me for t- speaking out about it and sharing their stories. And um, I felt like there was a little bit of a community in that. And that's a terrible community to be a part of. Mm, but Yeah, but... Uh, but I didn't feel alone and, and those women didn't feel yeah. alone. And that was really beautiful. And so just with all the recent events, um, I do feel a shift and I do feel like it's a lot easier for women to come out and, and share their stories and then other women to, to build them up and, and support them and believe them and, and for men to believe them too. I, I, um, I think one of the, uh, after the whole me too, or while that was going on, a lot of men were posting like, I believe you, or I stand with you. And that was beautiful mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. see as well. So, so yeah, I, uh, I'm a huge proponent of uh, standing up for yourself, and I'm very honest and uh, an oversharer usually. <laughs> but okay. hey. in that in that way, uh, I I I love giving voice to things that don't have it, and um, that's sort of what the space between is about. And definitely that article and reposting it and. Yeah, I'm like out of breath. <laughs> and, and, that. Gets me very- <laughs> and that, for those who were wondering at the beginning of this thing, is why I freaking felt <laughs> yeah. you needed the time to go into this stuff and why Thank it was you. worthy <laughs> of a whole episode. Now, if I may ask, um, as a man, um, I, I, I posted something a few days ago on Facebook, and I've been amazed, pleasantly surprised at some of the response. Um as a child, my mother was assaulted, and I stepped in. And oh, my wow. stepping in, my stepping in stopped what was going on. Um, as a child, uh, like the the kid in New Hampshire uh, last month, who had a noose put around his neck, um, yeah. that happened to me too. Oh my god! And and, and I fought back, and yeah. those motherfuckers left me alone from then on. They continued yeah. to torment other people sure. that I knew and around me, but they just pretended that I wasn't even there because they fought back. And right. so to this day, step in and fight back have been constant parts of my soul, my DNA. Yeah. And so as um as a guy who <laughs> comes from a family of mostly women, I mean, I have mostly aunts and most of my cousins are women and I mean, they're strong women. Um, uh, most of my closest friends have been women, um, just coincidental. But yeah. um, as a guy who has, and and there are many other guys, I, I, there are many other guys who don't, who who are, are totally with you, who stand behind you. There are men who have mothers and daughters and, 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 and girlfriends and wives and, and, and co-workers that they care about whom their hearts are shattered when they hear about this stuff. What can they do to get behind this and to help curb it to help put an end to this shit. Um, I know, I know that's a lot to put on your shoulder to ask you that, but I mean, I don't even know if I have the answer, but I think there's a lot of small things that what we guys can do. I mean, from a woman's point of view, do you have any, um, um, suggestions um, or? Yeah. You know, I, luckily I've been, I've been blessed to, to know way more good men than, than bad men. And, and the, the encounters that I have had were, were terrible, but, luckily I can count them on my hand and, and none mm-hmm. of that really led to full blown assault or rape or anything okay. terrible like that. Okay. Thank God. Um, I would just say, I don't know. I, I sort of liken it to um, one of the shows that we did for Kaiser because they were all health topic related and in terms of what that demographic faced, one of the shows that we did was or do is around bullying for middle school kids. Uh-huh. And I would say that it's the same 
the way to stop bullying is for bystanders to to stand up and to defend the victim who's being bullied. And Mm -hmm. I, I think it's a cultural thing that is bigger than us in terms of there are bad people out there. There's always going to be bad people out there. And it's not a boys will be boys or like, that's Mm. just how it is mentality. I think that, I think that's the core. That's the, the real issue is, Mm. is accepting it is, is unaccept it's unacceptable and it's not okay. And to just brush it aside and, and say, that's how it, how it always has been. Well, fuck that. Let's change that. And, and, and the boys will be boys. No, I I saw, uh, there's like a meme that has circled and it's not, it says boys will be boys. And the, the, the last will be boys is crossed out and it says held accountable for their actions. Boys will be a help. Yeah. And, and I love that. And, and not <clears> just <throat> boys. I mean, people in general should just be held accountable for their actions. It shouldn't just be like, well, that's the way it is. And I think that's the core issue is we can't change who people are. There are bad people everywhere, but we can change our, our, uh, perspective on the situation and we can change the, you know, individual cultures and the individual, um, uh, acceptances of these horrific, uh, you, you did, you know, I don't know. I just think standing up for it as a bystander, whether you're a man or a female, if, if you are witnessing it and then also not accepting it anymore as the norm, like changing mm-hmm. the norm, I think is what we can all do as just a society, frankly, but definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. men. I mean, believing people when they, a lot of most, I don't know what the fuck, I don't know what the actual statistic is, but there's a statistic that says that like, I don't know that, that, uh, most people don't believe people like wow. it's a like boy who cried wolf type thing. And that's like, yeah. fuck you like believe, believe the victims and support them. And, um, and then if you do, if you do see it, God forbid, do something about it. Don't just like when a guy, this is small, but when a guy cat calls me, I talk back and that's probably mm-hmm. not a very safe thing to do, but like, you don't get to speak to me that way. And I've, and right. I've been in situations with, with male friends who witness it and they stand up for me and like, just, sta- I don't know, standing up for victims, believing them and changing the culture, I think is the the only thing that we can do at this point. I believe in that Ms. Philippe's piece, you uh, mentioned a quote that Gandhi said, where we have to become the change that we seek. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny because uh, not just in that situation, but I think just in general, whenever you confront somebody with, why did you do this? The lame Hail Mary response is usually, oh, well, that's the way the world is. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and my response has always been, yeah, but most people concur that the world is fucked up. Yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> so why would you use that as an excuse for your own actions? You're, you're that's just not saying, a great well, argument. Yeah, yeah. I'm fucked up, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so, yeah, we definitely have to... Uh, become the change that we seek. It's, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I definitely think it, rema- it uh, resides within each individual to, to yeah. do something personally. And, and to not be just... better. Just be better, expect yes. better, do better. Yeah. Okay. So, um, ending things on a, I guess what we could say for lack of a better term, yeah. lighter <laughs> note. Um, I kind of call this uh, I Ching 2.0. Awesome. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> sort of my version of uh, Inside the Actor Studios, uh, how they end each episode with a series of questions for their Beautiful. guests. Beautiful. You have a stack um, of note cards? Well, I, yes, I have, <laughs> I have eight note cards. But what I'm going to do, uh, where the I Ching part comes in, um, with the I Ching you have like cards or you have symbols and you put them on the table. Right. And it's kind of like the way that they fall on the table, yeah. uh, supposedly, you know, some people believe, is like fate. <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, fate or I guess... Um, 
uh, uh, some chaoticians might say uh, um, nonlinear mathematics or chaos theory or whatever. Yeah. But um, even throwing bones or reading tea leaves, <laughs> I just think of it as uh, roulette. Okay, beautiful. Let's so I have eight. I have eight cards. Okay. And each card has a question. Some of them are just boring, cliched, innocuous questions like, "What is your favorite film and why?" Right, okay. Other ones are a little more interesting, like, what is your most humorously embarrassing professional experience? Uh, oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to shuffle these cards, which I'm doing okay. right now. I don't know if people can hear me. I'm okay. going to shuffle the cards, uh, eight cards, and then I'm going to place them face down in front of me. And I'm going to pick the first four cards. Okay. So I don't know which four questions it will be. Four innocuous questions, four intense questions, or a combination of the two. Okay. Right. I'm, I'm so excited. <laughs> okay. So I am presently, it's not like Johnny Carson, where he used to put the the amazing Karnak. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, so I'm picking the first card, and the first question is, oh, interesting. Who is your biggest personal influence, and why? Oh, wow. Um... I, so, um, I I was told when I was like probably 24 that I wasn't pretty enough to be a leading lady. Um, and in the room, all this happened, it was in an acting class in front of everybody. So incredibly mortifying. Um, yeah. And this was a mentor of mine. So uh, clearly, clearly (laughs) no longer a mentor. Yeah. He basically, in so many words, told me this is no, this is not him. Sorry. This is the lead up to the thing. Um, oh, okay, I was going to say, this is your mentor he telling was, you this? All right. <laughs> I know, right? Um, he was like, you're the best friend. You're always going to be the best friend. You're not pretty enough to be a leading lady. And in the room was this woman named Samantha Covington. And I didn't know her at the time. She was a writer-director. And she heard this and was fucking furious. And so she wrote me a movie that I starred in. It is a short film called There's Something in the Woods. It's a horror, a psychological thriller. And she wrote it. I had no idea. She wrote it and she basically was like, hey, let's, uh, I would like to meet with you. I have a project that I want to work on together. And she told me that she was in the room when this happened and that this will be on my fuck you to him. Cool. Uh, so that I will actually be the leading lady mm-hmm. of this movie. And we shot it and from that we became best friend she calls me her muse and we've done multiple films together and she is a goddess of all goddesses she is so brilliant and and such a good friend and she's become more of a sister than uh, a friend and um we love we we collaborate she currently lives in new jersey and is uh, kicking out as a mom right now um but we have He's still writing, and, and we're going to be hopefully working on some projects again together soon. Um, but yeah, she's a huge inspiration to me, and for me, it really shifted things because I I would have accepted that of I wasn't wow. pretty enough to be a leading yeah, yeah. lady, and I I don't know why that's completely not within my nature to like mm-hmm. be like oh I guess I'm ugly oh fuck one mm-hmm. person said it that's my truth, um, mm-hmm. but yeah so she she is absolutely my my number one inspiration. Awesome. That's that's a great answer. Damn. Okay. <laughs> okay. The second card. Um. <laughs> oh God. Oh God. Oh God. <laughs> okay. It's kind of funny. Um. Um. Hmm. What is your most recurring nocturnal dream since childhood, which may still pop up every now and then today? Oh my God. That's so funny. I my dad. <laughs> my dad is the best. Also the worst. <laughs> 
because he <laughs> made me, made me watch scary movies all the time. <laughs> like, that, like I had to watch The Exorcist and Poltergeist, oh, and uh, the movie that really fucked me up was It. And um, oh what, I would have a reoccurring nightmare of a killer clown for years and years and years. And so I finally, like that, I didn't have that dream ever again. And I had a friend who asked me if I had seen the new It. And I was like, you, <laughs> no, never. Like, that's, no, I don't want to, I don't need to go to therapy again. Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Um, and what's funny is I was like, you know what? I'm in my 30s. Like, I'm a big girl now. I can do this. And I went to go see it. And uh, immediately that night had a fucking clown nightmare. So um, it's still a real, it's it's absolutely like irrational, stupid fear. But it's a thing. And if I have to thank my dad for that. So thanks, dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, I I, I, I totally relate. Um, when I was a kid, I had recurring nightmares about tornadoes. Um, um, oh. and and they went away until the movie Twister opened, and I hadn't had see? a tornado nightmare. And like, huh? Oh. I fucking movies. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, I didn't have a tornado nightmare in like fifteen, twenty years. And yep. I saw that movie, and that night I had a freaking tornado nightmare. Yeah. So yep. I totally, I totally get it. <laughs> Okay. Well, mine's so, a killer clown, so mine's a little bit worse. <laughs> a little bit worse, yeah. <laughs> so, because, yeah, they're a lot more commonplace. Uh, well, yeah. Anyway, the third. Okay, this one's uh, kind of cool. Who is your biggest professional influence and why? Huh. Interesting. You know, I, I you know, you, I, uh, I feel like that question evolves for me. I think, like, when I was younger, um, one of the first movies that I saw that made me want to be an actress was Funny Girl. And cool. Barbara Streisand was, you know, just like um, gold in all, mm-hmm. in all ways. Like her voice is amazing and her acting in that movie. I just, I just loved it. And then from there, you know, I had a Hepburn phase and then cool. from there a Catherine Hepburn phase. I think it sort of evolves. It's, it's always been strong women. And mm-hmm. um, I, uh, Kate Winslet is one of my all-time favorite actresses, and I love her not just because she's brilliant. Um, I love the the choices that she makes creatively. Nice. Um, and then, but recently, I would say Nicole Kidman. Hmm. Uh, I I didn't I haven't really I hadn't really followed her career that closely, and she was never like a huge favorite of mine. But I watched Big Little Lies, hmm. and I don't know if you've seen the show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on HBO and yep. it was fantastic. I thought it was fantastic, but her work in that show was so raw. And like my mouth, like my jaw was open for all of her scenes. Really. It was just so realistic and so just beautiful. And so I, I think I'm just incredibly inspired by women who are, whose work is brave and who, who speak out and, and, and interviews, you know, they, they don't side skirt, sexist or misogynistic remarks and they mm-hmm. sort of um i mean how i think there's that video of helen mirren when they're the, the interviewers are being completely misogynistic and she's like why are you asking me that question because i'm a woman yeah yeah i so fucking love her <laughs> oh she's so amazing i love women like that it's, it's evolving for me there isn't like one cool. okay. uh yeah one woman but yes yeah, um, every every woman <laughs> awesome oh i I made a mistake. I uh, I originally said I had eight cards, and I would ask three questions. Uh, I remember earlier today I actually narrowed it down to six cards and three oh. questions. So that's okay. actually all the questions. So. Oh, I was <laughs> okay. ready. I was, I was ready to go all day. Okay, you want to do one more? <laughs> sure. Yeah, let's do one more. <laughs> okay, I'll just pick this from here. Uh. Oh well, it's the one that okay. It's what is the most humorously embarrassing professional moment, and why? 
Oh my god! I don't know if I really want to go there. Should I go there? Ah, okay. <laughs> See, you should have said no. Three questions is enough. Oh god! <laughs> Fuck it. Um, I, this is so embarrassing. Oh my god! This is gonna. This, I'll never work again. Um, <laughs> I, it was. Well, if uh, in retrospect you decide, like I said, I, I, I'm going to send you a proof of of this interview <laughs> first, and if you listen to it and go, I, maybe we should leave that part out. We can do that. You know what? Uh, you, no, I won't ahead. do the real one. I, I, I'm not, I'm going to save myself pure embarrassment. Okay. Um, okay. But I will say, I actually was talking to a friend uh, the other day. I had like three commercials, uh, commercial auditions in a day. And those commercial auditions are usually pretty stressful because they're usually mm-hmm. all over town and you're really trying to like go from one to the next and not be late. And mm-hmm. you travel two hours to be in the room for five minutes and then two hours <laughs> to the next one. And it's, it's a lot. Um, and usually commercial auditions you walk away just like i mean i'm a theater actress and i never walk away from a commercial audition feeling like good i usually feel like what am i doing with my life and that was weird but my i think a low for me was um i had a commercial audition for cat food i think it was imes or something and in the room they had a stuffed animal cat we all had to pet as if it was real and I just had this fucking moment where I like my body like I came outside my body and I was looking down at myself petting a fake cat and I just was like what what am I doing this Mm -hmm. is this is what I I, well this is the weirdest fucking thing ever my dad was so proud (laughs) and I didn't look at probably because my face was like what the fuck you probably showed it your face yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah I can't hide my face (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I've actually had some phone conferences with uh, producers uh, talking about stories, and um, there, I honestly, there are times I've said, "I am so glad I am not in the office right now," because they can't see my face. I would never right. ever work again <laughs> if they could see my face right now. <laughs> exactly, I know. Good God! <laughs> Can you dig it? <laughs> Well, cool. This was this was awesome. Um, so, um, thank you so much for doing this. And um, um, I, no, I just I really want to thank you from the bottom of the heart, my heart, because this is it really means a lot. I've never been asked to be on a podcast, so uh, oh wow, cool. yeah, this is my first time. Um, and and I just I love that uh, I love that you're supporting indie filmmakers and you know alongside all the all the big movies that you talk about as well but I, I I'm I'm so honored that you took an interest in me and and thank you for asking I mean you obviously did your homework and and I feel like you're a fan and 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 that is it's so uh it, it just I don't know it just feels really good because you you are so lovely Craig well, so thanks. so this was so great and uh I don't know I just feel I'm I feel like I'm on cloud nine right now I just feel like very supported and, and encouraged and and it, it feels it feels amazing so thank you for that awesome cool and like I said it's simply uh, because your your work uh just uh, just stood out from the pack thank uh, you so I definitely take my hat off to you and just say keep doing it and um because I definitely believe you're a creative and personal inspiration uh and you will be in in the years to come to so many i honestly believe that thank you that means a lot cool absolutely well thank you and we'll uh we'll we'll chat again sometime yeah anytime (laughs) excellent wow now for those interested in learning a little more about amber sweet about her film the space between 
The all-gal video comedy troops you mentioned earlier, Full Frontal Females, the streaming and crowdfunding site Seed and Spark, How to Stay in the Loop as to her upcoming film and directorial debut, and more. <laughs> Check out the links on this episode's accompanying page at the Art19 Network. Oh, and if you're listening to this on iTunes or Twitter or LinkedIn, Facebook or whatever, well, just click the show link to the Art19 page. It'll take two and a half seconds and you'll find a wealth of info. Well, that'll do it for this one. I'm Craig Jamison of Gull Cottage Online, and thank you for joining me here at the Movie Sneak. See you next time, up there in those cheap seats. Reminder that all film, music, and other clips are the rights and property of the copyright holders and are used here for entertainment, educational, and criticism purposes only.